This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where right now you can start thinking about Valentine's Day and take care of it by going online to zupans.com and order their lobster dinner. We did this last year. It is so good and it features a cheese and charcuterie board, roasted golden beets, baby arugula, citrus vinaigrette and chive ricotte and also some salt-roasted potatoes, asparagus, which is delicious, and black truffle butter, uh, clams, wild Mexican shrimp, and Olympia provisions, kielbasa, and uh, garlic and chardonnay, and also some lobster tails, which is the best, and lemon and herbs. Also some bread and butter, some French-style butter, and a beautiful dessert. I'll leave it to everyone listening to go and check out what that dessert is at zoopans.com. You know, we've been talking about this for some time, Chris, that Zupans makes luxurious dinners so easy, whether you're creating them from scratch, they've got the recipes, or you're getting these kits that you go and you pick up at your local Zupans, you take home, you might have a little bit of preparation sometimes, reheating something, uh, but it is so, so good. Uh, So that is for uh, Valentine's Day, which if you don't know what day that is, February 14th, you order it, you pick it up that day. Uh, but you should also be checking out their ongoing great meals going on there. I've uh, I talked about this probably a couple weeks ago. They're stuffed chickens. They've got uh, two or three different varieties that you can get there at the at the butcher block. And it's so my my 13 year old daughter loves these things. I got the one that's got sausage stuffed inside, and uh, you get the instructions when you pick it up. You throw it in the oven when you get home, and uh, it just slices up deliciously. It's, it's so good. Have you had it yet, Chris? I just, because you were so good at describing it, I had one this past uh, weekend, and I actually ordered a second one for Renee, and she cooked it at home, and I got a little tip, uh, so I also bought some Zupan's Crostini um, that they have in a you know, nice little container of Crostini, and about 20 minutes in to that cooking that, or even actually an hour. I kind of tilted up the, the chicken and put the crostini under, and then that absorbed all the juice, and it made a nice little kind of bready side dish Ooh. To, the, uh, to the whole thing. So it was great. So Renee had the one stuffed with mushrooms and bacon and more, and I'll also add the sausage has pistachio in it to give it a little crunch, too. So Oh, man. Uh, those are great, and I highly recommend them. No, I know what I'm having for uh, Sunday dinner this weekend. I'm having leftovers tonight. Oh. I still have some. So Very um, nice. Good stuff. Three locations for you to go by and pick up one of these, by the way. You got uh, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always where? Zoopans.com. Subscribe to that news feed, too. It's very important. Mm-hmm. It's time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court, over there, I'm looking at you in Kink.fm Studios, I think. No. Oh, did you say you're in the in the lunchroom? I'm in my I'm in my dining room today. Dining, oh, your dining room. I'm in my dining room. So if I angle my camera that way, you, you'll see into the kitchen. That way, there's the lamp. I can't even tell, you know, these days you can't even tell the difference between your dining room and a, and a multi-million dollar studio. Well, sure. It's, uh, it, it, it's, we have, we 
take that boutique approach. It's like you're in a little hotel right here or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'll be in to stay soon. Pick my we'll, room. We'll, we'll leave a light uh, leave a light on for you. I think that one's oh, already man. taken. Do you remember those um, those old Motel Six commercials? I loved you? them. I thought they were great. Yeah, I miss those. You know, I used to listen to. Speaking of interesting segue, where I used to hear those all the time was I used to listen to Larry King late night radio. Yeah, to sleep to. Wait, I mean, I'm talking about in the '80s, '70s, and '80s. Yeah, no, the problem with those Motel 6 commercials, though, is the commercials are better than the the motel rooms. Like, the great commercials, mediocre, questionable, uh, you know, staying places. Well, we don't want to set ourselves up for a little for a little slander here. Oh, well, that's just one man's opinion. How about that? Okay, well, I'll tell you, though, I've stayed at Motel 6s within the last five years. Okay. And they've upgraded them. They no longer have carpets. They were one of the first ones that I knew of to go to the floors, so it was easier for them to clean and oh, sure, yeah. think about it. How much more sanitary is a, smart. a hardwood floor than a carpet? That's smart. All so, right. I, I take all of that back because I haven't stayed at a Motel 6 since, oh, man, probably the 90s. Yeah, well, I've stayed at the one out in Pendleton on the way to Joseph. Sure, yeah. And then I think I stayed at the one in Gold Beach. So, okay. yeah, I've had done my share of Motel 6s, I guess. All right. And then uh, uh, let's welcome in our new sponsor, Motel 6, to the podcast. Yeah, no, we won't do that. But speaking of sponsors, if, if, what we don't do with our trips for Portland Food Adventures is stay at Motel 6s. We stay at four-star hotels in Italy and Spain, and we're going to just start cranking those up again. So... Uh, I invite people to go to portlandfoodadventures.com, see our trips where we're staying at very nice hotels in Europe. And also, we just added another, I don't know, I don't think you know this, Court. You know, we did, we were doing the Snake River trip July 4th uh, with Jonathan Gill, chef from Ringside Steakhouse. Right. We added another one of those trips, similar format. We haven't yet put it up on the website, but with all people, uh, Leaf Gildersleeve of Flying Fish. Oh, nice. So that guy is a very at home on the river. He's done river trips himself on the Snake River. And, you know, he grew up doing those sorts of things. So he's very familiar with it. And he's going to have some really fun food things going on every night of that trip, August 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th uh, that we have planned. And we're just starting to sign people up for that one since we sold out the ringside trip and and not too long. I'm feeling uh, good vibes right now, Chris. I feel like we're kind of turning a corner right now when it comes to people are getting vaccinated. They're opening some things back up where I think we're on the right track. And I think people are going to be, you know, looking to get out of their homes and maybe out onto the snake river. So this is great. I think so. And especially that trip, I can understand people wanting to hold off a little bit on Europe, but, um, but to go to the snake river in July and August and Oregon, an Oregon summer trip, eating fish on the river and going fishing and being with some great people doing some glamping with the folks from Canyon outfitters, check out their website. Uh, it's going to be fun. So that was an interesting segue that we didn't plan from Motel 6 to you, all of that. You nailed that segue like you've been <laughs> doing this for uh, decades, Chris. It was great. I actually think I have been doing this for decades. You know, I used to sit, I found a picture today of my um, college 
a room I had an apartment in college with my nine inch Sony TV, the black and white. You remember mm-hmm. those? Oh yeah. yeah. With the little channel. And I used to sit in front of uh, my TV and do Knicks games. Oh. And so this is what I wanted to do. Not necessarily a podcast. We didn't know about them then. Right. But I wanted to be in front of a mic when I was a kid. I liked the idea. So it's interesting how this all came about. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was, it was replanned. It just happened. And then I found myself in front of a mic. Should uh, start recording yourself uh, now in front of a bigger flat screen TV, calling the Knicks games and see how good you are. Yeah. I don't think I'd do sports that well, but I'll tell you what I would. I think I would be better than a lot of the color commentators, but that's just my opinion. I hate when sports commentators get so technical, you know, it's former players. Oh, yeah. I don't want to watch it that deeply. I just want to, I just want to hear general strategy, right. but not every pitch uh, exactly where it's going. And the whole yeah, thing. I think that I, I've noticed there's two trains of thought when it comes to uh, sports broadcasting these days, there's the X's and O's, type thing. And if you, if, if you listen to that, then you're like really deep into sports and you care about statistics. Cause there's some stuff that uh, gets really, really, really like technical and inside baseball quite literally. Um, whereas I don't think the majority of people even care about that. I'd much rather, you know, kind of just see the, bl- the, you know, some general stuff is okay. And then talk about other things. So. Don't you think they would have done research on that in the broadcasting? They have such large reach. Right. So I listen to that and I think, this, you know, it's one of the reasons I stopped listening to football. I didn't care about every single play yeah. and what they were going to call. I just want to watch the game. Just one of the reasons, one of the many. But, um, but at any rate, I don't know. I would think they would do research. There are some really bad announcers out there and uh, doing national work. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, if they weren't getting the the ratings, then they wouldn't be still be doing what they're doing. So who knows? What do we know? Yeah, no, we we don't know much. Nope, it's true. But but we know a little bit about the Portland food scene, and we know a little bit about what's happening. And so we're doing a classic episode today with Brian Spangler of a Pizza Shoals. A Pizza Shoals is really the proper pronunciation of that. Thank you for that. Um, but, uh, well, that's the way a new Havener would pronounce it. I don't know if Brian does. Uh, I don't think he does, but, um, at any rate, it's an interesting interview. I noticed on Wednesday, I think it was pizza day. Isn't every day pizza day. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause uh, I always make fun of this fact that, uh, and they play, play to it really big time in radio. It's like, Oh, Hey, it's national hot dog day. And then like t- two days later, it's like international hot dog day. And it, so you're, you're right. I think it was either, no, it was Tuesday. Uh, cause I was conflicted because it was national pizza slice day or something like that. It wasn't even just national pizza day. It was, pizza slice day day. oh maybe it was pepperoni slice day maybe and then and then on top of that you know taco taco tuesdays is a big thing so it's just like oh man the conflict yeah well and we all have to get everything so one of the one of the interesting things uh there are a few interesting things about this is that of course pizza has as far as i know has done fairly well through this pandemic because it lends itself to going to pick up pizzas and oh sure home. yeah the whole delivery the delivery thing um was kind of already in place for for a good chunk of pizza places i mean i don't know how much delivery 
did uh, Pizza Shoals do delivery before, like their own type of delivery before any of this? I no, 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 no. You, it was call in. I didn't even. Yeah. I wasn't even sure they were doing delivery through this, but they must have expanded that. Sure. So I figured um, out and, a way. Right. So they were doing that, and then also we had uh, this was an interesting bridge episode where we had two episodes starting with Janice Martin at the time at Tanuki, mm-hmm. and she we did an episode with her, and then. And she brought in some Chick-fil-A sandwiches, which was very nice of her, of course. And then her friend Brian came on. And so he came on earlier on her episode and she stayed into his episode. This is his episode. This is sort of part two. So you'll hear Janice Martin, who at the time was at Tanuki. And of course, now she's uh, doing some pizzas at East Gleason Pizza. That's right. Uh, so, um, So they both are. I don't think... She's talking pizza much during this episode, but we'll hear Brian talk about his background, uh, you know, making bread in college in Northern uh, California and making his way to Portland and opening a little, you know, place out out yonder, a little beyond where uh, you live, keep it discreet, but somewhere beyond where you live down in Shoals. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I drive Shoals Ferry Road all the time. Right. So open there and, you know, They've been uh, a pizza shoals has been a um, uh, a hallmark spot in Portland. It comes up in every conversation. So, and it would come up in any list of the best places in Portland too. And Brian would come up in any list now that we've gotten to know know him a little bit of the nicest nicest guys in Portland too. And a lot of people have gone through um, that you know pizza shoals over the years uh, comes. Tom, Tommy Habits comes to mind. Yeah. Too, who's now, you know, pizza jerk. So, um, but that's uh, neither here nor there. It's there, I guess. But, um, but Brian Spangler is here with us again in an episode from 2016. Coming back at us. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdineta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Yeah, well, the game's changed. Um, you know, when I started a pizza 13 years ago, back then, you know, I was meeting people from all over the country who had moved here. They saw an opportunity. They had scrounged up what they could, you know, and it was enough for them to actually start their business. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't about fancy tables and 
quarter million dollar buy uh, build outs. It was about being creative, and the, and there was such a I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot of of there was a lot of mediocre food in this town. There wasn't a lot of creative stuff going on at that time. So I think a lot of people like myself saw this great opportunity. A lot of holes that needed to be filled, niches that needed to be uh, filled. But along with things that had transpired, you know, 15, 12 years ago and the attention that Portland started getting about food, then, of course, you get more people coming in. And now you have people with lots of money coming in. And then you have landlords that are like, oh, okay, let's start raising the rent. Mm -hmm. So can someone come here with $60,000 and start... Or no people with sixty thousand dollars. That's what it. Yeah. That's what it was. I started. I started mine with fifty thousand dollars. I and never uh, took a loan. What'd you had? I had nine thousand dollars <throat> and a seventeen thousand dollar Amex line of credit mm-hmm. at something like a fifteen percent interest rate. Mm-hmm. So nine thousand dollars was my startup. Hence the hot plates. And I did all the work myself. Over on twenty first. So that's where Smokehouse Twenty One is mm-hmm. now. Just yeah. so people. Nine thousand dollars and a seventeen thousand dollar line of credit. Which they canceled four months after giving it to me, so I never got to use it. <laughs> so it was nine thousand dollars. It was. It was, a, it was me. It was me t- uh, buying stuff at Target mm-hmm. and painting the walls mm-hmm. and uh, making a, a bar out of uh, discounted clearance bamboo flooring from Home Depot. And Seventy-nine cents a yard. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what caused you to have to move? Was it a? It was. Was it a financial decision? Twenty <clears> First <throat> um, Avenue was changing a lot, um, and it was turning into not really a place I wanted to be. Plus, all the city construction, what they were doing with changing the traffic, didn't interest me for uh, the kind of crowds we were bringing. We were already having a lot of trouble with our regulars not being able to park or get there. So, um, the lease was up. We'd extended it for a short bit of time, and I was like, "Yeah, it's just time to go." And how long did it take you to to transition? Um, we'd found a place that we were going to move right into, but then we got, uh, denied a, um, temporary changeover license for that property that we were moving into. They had just closed. Um, we had denied, there's no such thing really as a temporary license, but if a business is operating and a new person buys it and takes over, they give you like a bridge license, uh, you know, ostensibly. So, you know, they're not putting people out of work. Um, we got di- we got denied that for whatever reason. Are you um, talking about the OLCC? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've I've always had good relationships with uh, the people I've worked with at the OLCC. I, I don't agree with a lot of the regulations, but as far as you know, the people I find them to be the most professional of all the uh, bureaucrats I deal with in in Oregon. Certainly, the ones that seem to have less chip on their shoulder. <laughs> how 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 do they? Uh, how does a chip on their shoulder? Um, demonstrate itself? What are they? Well, now I'm in the process of dealing with more of them, so it wouldn't behoove me <laughs> to go your, too your far and how I don't like them. Has your attorney has advised you not to <laughs> speak on this matter? You know, it's it's uh, it's it's a rough thing, and, and without getting in, into politics, I mean, there's something about bureaucratic regulation controls. It's, it's in many ways, it's non-representative because you have these unelected people that actually can control so much of your life um and it's uh it, it can be very frustrating um that just random decisions and things that are supposed to be objective that actually they have a lot of 
personal judgment they can bring to it. And it, it gets really frustrating, especially when it's, you know, it's someone's livelihood. And they're getting paid whether they shut you down or keep you open or just make your life miserable for a while. They're, they're still getting paid. And do you think, I'm just wondering, does making lives miserable give them a reason for their eight hours, ten hours a day they spend? Is that, is that, what, they're, is that what they're doing often, do you think, just to... Oh, no, I, I think that would be uh, misrepresented. There's certainly some people like that in any line of work, and right. I certainly don't think they avoid getting bureaucratic jobs, but, I mean, I'm not saying as a group, but what I'm saying is if they so happen to, they aren't beholden to the people who have to use them. Mm-hmm. You know, as a server, you have to make someone happy or you're going to not get tipped, you're going to lose your job, you know, all these other things. The bureaucrats are really not beholden to anyone for the people who they are serving is ostensibly the business owners who have to go through them. And there's no, there's nothing happens to them if the people they're serving aren't satisfied. Right. They right. pretty much uh, rule with impunity. <laughs> well, I would think that would be that's a very difficult thing to deal with when uh, there's no jury and there's no appeal process, really. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to deal with it yourself. And it's expensive. It's expensive process because it's time. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to deal with it, you can't afford attorneys on $9,000 yeah. and, and an American Express credit line. I haven't dealt with any of this stuff in so long. Yeah, you're, you're all establishy and whatnot. Well, yeah, I was. Uh, pizza was grandfathered into which nothing gets grandfathered anymore. Yeah. But uh, we took over, which was Surabaya, which was a Dutch Indonesian restaurant, and we went to the city, and they're like, "No, you're good." I just had to apply for the old CC license, and did you know it was going to be that easy, or was it a surprise to you at the time? I wasn't really that surprised because um, it was. I, I refer to those days as the Wild West of Portland and the food scene because things those were, were just, the days, those Brian. Were, they were, those were the good old the days. halcyon <laughs> days of our youth. So, so 10, to, 10 to 15 years ago were the Wild West? Things were a days. lot easier. Um, you, yeah, like I had never really had any problems with bureaucracy and especially given coming from California – with get, obtaining a liquor license. Here, it's just, you just have to wait. And back then, there weren't a lot of restaurants opening them up. So I think I waited all of, what, 35, 40 days to get a license? How long is it now, do you know? Oh, I've heard it, stories. It comes and goes up and down a lot, from what I hear. I've heard oh. six months, sometimes. Yeah, it seems to depend a lot on where it goes. But when generally, when I hear people having a huge problem uh, and it being delayed, as, as my first one was, Delayed for a really long time. It wasn't the OLCC. It was at the city level. Hmm. Because, you know, it needs to go back and forth and get signed in a bunch of different places. I've had zero problems with the OLCC. Out of all of them, they've been the pleasure to deal with, oddly. But um, Yeah, I've heard that where it just gets stuck in somebody's inbox. My several-month-long delay was at the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also heard that they don't tell you all the things you need to get done. So they'll cite one or two things you've fix those over time, then it takes them X amount to check it and then say, yeah, but now you got to do this, this, oh, and yeah. this. Uh-huh. So that, to me, is what I hear is the, the frustrating process. Especially in construction. Yeah. Because you yeah. get someone coming in, you get a uh, mechanical inspector, you get a, a um, plumbing inspector, you get an electrical inspector, and they all read the code their way. So what's really important to one inspector, mm-hmm. like, 
Like, that's really important. Well, the next inspector who follows up, he may not care about that. He cares about something that the other inspector didn't care about. So it's this constant ping pong back and forth. I dealt with that when I built my bakery out in in Shoals because I I built it myself. So I was going to Washington County daily. And it was always just... And you didn't, there was no one to do the seminar on how to build a bakery in Washington County. So you had no, to figure of course, this all out they yourself. They were freaked out. They're like, you're going to build a bakery on a, an old five-acre Christmas tree farm <laughs> and a pole barn and all this other stuff? And you're going to build a brick oven? What? So they had, they had never heard of such a thing. So I was, uh, I was going through the wall first, right? Got a little bloody through the process. So you both come from the Midwest. Yeah. Right? We got Michigan here. Yep. Ohio. Ohio. You got I, I, what part of Ohio? Cleveland. Ah. Are you happy yeah. today? Are you a Cavaliers fan at all? I, I do, do not. I, I do not the sports <laughs> ball. <laughs> I, I, I was going to assume zero that. fucks <laughs> to give. Life is not a team sport, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> do you still have a lot of friends from Cleveland who would care? Because this was a big day. This is recorded the day after the Cavaliers yeah. won the NBA championship. I have some friends that care, but I try to ignore them in their time of joy and <laughs> let them. You don't want to participate. <laughs> just, just let them wank each other over that all by themselves. <laughs> So do you think there's um, do you think there's something from your Midwest backgrounds that helps you to be who you are, more genuine than West Coast, East Coast? I don't know. Well, having lived, you know, the first third of my life was growing up in the Midwest, um, in Michigan. All my family is from Virginia, uh, Maryland, Delaware, and then Delmarva. <clears throat> Hmm? Delmarva. Delmarva. Del Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. Oh. That's what they call it. I've never heard that before. Yeah. There's a lot I haven't heard of, so I thought I could throw one in. <laughs> you learn something new every day. He just uh, made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, that fast on my feet. But then moving to the West Coast, um, I think one thing that I, I have noticed is this, this, there's a certain upbringing in the Midwest and the East Coast of about like just ethic work ethic and, and a lot of other things um things of course on the west coast seems things seem to be a little bit you know more you know lenient and you know cool you know what i mean yeah, yeah. make any sense it's so well that 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 begs the question about the rap that millennials get now that uh, they they don't want to work you know that they don't the, the work ethic. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, i didn't i really didn't want to slam a whole generation but when i get a stack that, but i'm glad that you've hopped in and you're the one experiencing it oh yeah and, and when i get a stack of it of uh resumes i'll sort them as thus anybody from the midwest goes to the top <laughs> and the east coast goes to the middle anybody from the west coast goes to the bottom the truth <laughs> really yeah oh i'm glad i asked that question then because i was thinking i was in weird political water on that <laughs> no I mean, it, I do, trust me, I, I, I find great employees that were born and raised on the West Coast. So it's not, it, it's not it's, I'm making a big, broad brushstroke. But when you get a good worker from, say, Wisconsin or Michigan or what have you, they just put their nose down and work. They don't want to get mixed up in, you know, all the politics and bullshit. You know, it's a simple equation. I pay you to do what I need you to do, and you you do it, and I pay you, right? That's the equation. They put their nose down. They work hard. They take pride. A lot of kids on the West Coast, it's more like, oh, man. All right, I'll do it. 
but I don't really want to do it. Yeah. But I'll do it. No matter how much you made it clear that that was part of the job before <laughs> right. you hired them. So what's going to happen going forward, though? Is that generation? We're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> we are all doomed. My Finding... place is the place to come in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> There's a lot of good whiskey there, too. And a so couple that, of guns, I'm that, sure. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the shelter? <laughs> couple. Couple. <laughs> <and> couple. <laughs> Define couple. I, we've never once on this show, Court, have we asked anybody how many guns they're either carrying or that they have in the kitchen? You guys carrying today? Are we carrying? I, I don't. Yeah, okay. Janice, I love shooting Janice skeet. isn't answering. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, uh, you see it all around town. People are like, it, it, it seems impossible to find a dishwasher right now. It's happening all I over see town. That, I see that everywhere. Everybody's looking for dishwashers or line cooks. That are More so prep cooks. You can find a line cook if, if they feel like it's going to do something for them. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think going back to, you know, and, you know, people not wanting to work, I think that they think think they want to work it is which is the problem because if you ask them oh i want to work it's just how they define work is so differently than how you and i defined work at the same age exactly and a lot of them come in with an agenda you see these resumes oh you spent three months here you spent four months there you spent five months there oh i see you're getting into this job wherever this may be that you used to work you're getting what you want out of it you learned how to do x y or z on to the next doesn't really help anybody except for themselves so do you think that people with culinary school backgrounds uh i've heard mixed reviews on on that um does it help them in my experience no um i i can't say from personal experience because i learned in the trenches by doing it generally the what i've seen from kids that come out of culinary school is that they think they know it all it's hard to re train them or break them of their their already established habits because well I, I paid a lot of money to learn this this is this is it right no there's a million ways to skin a cat you know and but this is how I do it and why I do it so it's um, and of course they all want to make a lot of money they don't want to really start at the bottom because they just spent a lot of money to uh, learn all of these and the bottom's changing by the way, right? Uh, so drastically, how's that going to affect you? Because we were margins we, go down. Margins go down. Your margins are already tough. Margins have, margins have gotten worse every year I've been in business. So we had this discussion the other day before before today. Um, my feel, I guess we're transitioning from one interview to the other, yeah. right? So somewhere we'll find that spot. Um, but my. Impre- tell me when to go. No, you can. <laughs> I want her to stay. If you want to stick around, <laughs> you can stick around for the rest of it. We'll just split it into two. My God, if only I'd brought puppets. <laughs> I usually have one in the bag, but I had to put the flask in oh, there right. instead. What's, what's the one puppet you always have behind the bar? Oh, you? the marmot. That's it. Yeah. So you didn't take offense to this when I asked. It was really a constructive question, and it helps me to understand, and I think it helps others to understand. But my my gripe about pizza has been not how wonderful it is and how delicious it is here. It's the cost. So, and there are a couple of things that go into that. There are a couple of factors. One is the if even today, if I go and look at modern pizzas menu, modern a pizza uh-huh. menu in New Haven, a large pizza there is between seventeen and twenty dollars. Right. And and it's awesome. There are people waiting down the block for that, and there are about four or five places that have that. 
Um, and then even before that, when I was when we had a little young family and there were four of us, then this goes back 25 years, but pizza was a ten dollar deal for the family, right? Get a, That's when a large pizza was twelve dollars, right? And, and so I moved out here, and um, now I'm doing spending fifty, seventy dollars for three of us to go out for pizza. About twenty five is the average large pizza in this town, right? So yeah. if you don't agree, if three people, I, you know, if you got, I have two sons who can eat, and I can eat, mm-hmm. then we end up with two pizzas, a beer, two. You're looking at sixty or seventy dollars. It's yeah. a different. It's a different deal and you explained to me a little bit why that is and i understand it i I don't begrudge it it's just a different experience pizza out here different cost experience well there's a lot of variables um for example what what is the minimum wage in new haven connecticut labor out here is obviously going to be more and it goes up january uh, i mean july 1st minimum wage goes up across the board so you have higher um labor costs here but what as I was, we were discussing the other day, I bet you Modern probably owns that building. Yeah, well, I think so he's to, I just saw a Happy Father's Day post to, to Billy this morning on his boat too. So uh-huh. I'm just guessing. I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot of so you, taking, you guys you, here you, with boats and nice. You know, you take away you know the the rent. That that's some extra money there. With the biggest variable versus what I do, and I can't you know talk for everybody, is like for example. I'm sure Billy at Modern Pizza is getting ADM flour at the price of like $15 a bag, where I'm using Central Milk Organic and it costs me $40 a bag. And I'm using Grande cheese, which comes in about $3.50 a pound. He could be using Polio because he's a long-standing customer. He could be getting it for a buck fifty a pound. And you just start stacking up all those costs, and there's your... There's your difference. Because I started off making my pizzas for around $15, $16 average uh, 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago. Right. So apples to apples, that's where that's only fair to say to you when I was going way back to when I was young. Yeah. So, um, and food costs have been going up, labor costs have been going up. My lease ends next year. That's going to go up. Um, Everything's going up. Are you going to stay? Oh, yeah. Because I've asked that question before of Kana. We, we had the discussion of Wildwood and Vsauce, and she said, oh, both are going to be slam dunks. Mm-hmm. So you're going to stay there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm staying. As long as the landlord wants me. We actually have- Right, um, but you don't know where the, how the rent's going to go. This is 2017 we're talking about. Yeah. No, I don't. But, you know, well, I, I've got a fairly reasonable landlord. It's going up, that's for sure. I know that. Um, I've put probably $100,000 of my own money into his building- I've put a lot of money to brand new HVAC heat pump systems. I just redid all this uh, load centers in that place. That cost me fifteen thousand dollars. You know, a lot of lot of uh, upgrades, new flooring. So I'm taking really good care. And that's of this the property. tenant's responsibility, or is that an agreement going in? It's he on the lease. Generally, on leases for commercial property, you're you're in. If if say. Um, Anything that was structural, um, like there was some rot in a wall from previous years' usage or maybe because we have tenants living above us, that would be his responsibility. The water heater, my responsibility. Um, the, the, the drains to the sewer, his responsibility. Um, but I find it um, 
there there are times where like the HVAC, which we replaced, and I think that cost us a grand total because we had to replace two heat pump systems. Each was five ton. So we're dropping like $40,000 into brand new HVAC. And you can't all of a sudden go and have a surcharge on your pizza. All of a sudden no. sausage yeah. is going to be no. X. And I had to pay tax on that too. You had to pay tax on that. Yeah. So yeah, have you federal ever- government's rad. So you're, um, Court and I have said that um, on this podcast, when we ask people where their favorite places are, your our pizza shoals comes up right at the top. And that's because it's delicious pizza. You, it, would you compromise it at all to do some of the things that you were citing could be done in New Haven, different types of cheese, different types of flour to, to offset some of these costs? If I did, they'd stop coming. You think they'd know off? You think people would know? I've got people that are there at least every week, if not sometimes. I have some regulars there twice a week. And to me, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a sprint. This is a marathon. And I'd rather play, you know, there are some people out there and you see their, their pricing and their modeling and their restaurants. And you can tell it's like they're just going to see how much they can get out of the next three oh, or four yeah. years. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to sell this 14-ounce pint of beer for $8. Uh, you're not going to get too much. Um, I like to give value. I, I think, you know, customers perceive value. They're not stupid. And uh, I'd rather play the more of like, let's work volume, you know, uh, I'd rather sell more at cheaper prices than less at ex- more expensive prices. Well, you don't have to worry about that because you're fairly full all the time. So, you know, you've got the volume. But, you know, I'm only as good as the last pizza I made. So every day is a new challenge. I don't think we've, we've even gotten to the, I think we can still do better. What can you do better? What Today, if someone said what? Well, how could you improve? Well, the, the most important thing in restaurants is consistency. And that's, that's, that's the hardest variable when you have so many different cooks coming and going and everybody has a bad day and the, and the ingredients change and we're dealing with bread. So when the, the environment changes, it's, it's, the floor is always shifting and it's being able to, to move with it and then to be able to deliver something that's consistent within a certain percentage variable that the customer, it's like me, we didn't make our mark tonight. We didn't because we had, you know, X, Y, and Z going on. But if the customer is like, you know, it's not as good as it normally is, it normally can be, or I've had before, but it's still really good. And I, I'm a little more sensitive to it than probably a lot of people because it's my baby and, you know, I, I see it every day. So I know what we're capable of. And I still think we can go beyond what we've ever done. So you've made a lot of pizzas. You, you've worked a lot on crust, right? You started as a baker, really, was your first love of food, yep. correct? Yeah. So the crust is king to it's you. It's the foundation. Of, I mean, it's the foundation. So pizza's bread. Right. And pizza's bread with toppings on it. So you can take all the, you can go out and buy all these fancy ingredients and put it on cardboard. It's not going to be good. And so it's all about the crust to you, absolutely. Because and then the balance thereof. You know, of course you don't want to. You know, the, the ingredients are the easy part. You can get such good, high quality tomatoes these days, and good quality cheese. And then you just kind of run your balance of the quantities thereof to give you the balance. But the 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 
the day in day out challenge for me because we do what we do is a lot different from what other people do. Is, what do you do different? Oh, you're about to say. Well, <clears throat> so we don't like a lot of a lot of pizzerias. They'll mix up a bunch of dough and then they'll scale it and shape it and put them in dough boxes and then put them in the walk-in and then they'll be better like two days later and usable up to like you know four days later. What we do is we do complete room temp uh, fermentation. So we'll start the dough for today was started yesterday at 9.30 at night. And then we mix, do the final mix in the morning at 10 o'clock. And then we scale it out at about 3 o'clock. And then if we did everything right, it's going to be ready to go at 5 and usable up till 10. Well, and I think so, the, the cool thing about your missing the mark thing when you talk about that is it's uh, it's kind of one of the things that, you know, as, as business owners and chefs and hospitality people, we may um, pound ourselves about. But your your goal, your aim is high enough that when you miss the mark, your stuff is still better than anyone else's. And I think that's one of the one of the reasons why it's OK to make yourself suffer a little as uh, as a professional is because if you do have that really high standard that you set, you're going to fail. It's going to happen. Bad days, whatever, outside circumstances, externalities. But if you really kind of bruise yourself and grind yourself on that wheel to be at a certain point when bad things go wrong, what keeps you awake at night, upset with yourself, is still better than what other people are putting out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really been important. It's why I beat myself. It's why I know I, you it's do why too. I go to a pizza show <laughs> <laughs> because. You know, even if even the people will complain that, you know, $25 for a piece is expensive. And I'm, I'm like, I feel less ripped off when you guys on on the mark for $25 than the best day at a place that's charging 17 Because it's just, there's so much more quality put into it from the very get-go that even if something's slightly off, it's still at a higher standard. I think so that's a good thing It's to interesting because I think people in the industry like you, can identify specifically those things. I think there are people like me, lay people who are just this is fucking good. Right. I like this, and you know, I have I have my favorite pizzas, and um, and ever since I've had yours, I as I said, the only I think I think it's delicious. I've had actually. I mentioned one was the price, and I don't. I understand that now. I wanted to get to understand that more, and I've learned out here. It's it's a different thing. But then the white clam on top. Of, and I don't want to talk so much pizza. I want to learn about you, Brian, <laughs> a little bit more. I don't really want to talk about pizza. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> so um, just one thing. Will you, ever serve a, will you ever serve a white clam without the shells already on it? Because here's my thing. I know what you're thinking. By thing the is. time you take the... By the I time know what you, your thing is. They come <laughs> on the show. Well, I have two things. They, they're all over New Haven and he famous. He sees you, and, Chris. And, and no one serves shells, and they're very famous in New Haven, and they serve them on the menu. And secondly, by the time you get the shells, shells out off the pizza, it's starting to get cold. And you know that the best thing about a pizza is fresh out of the oven, and it's really hot. Of course. Of so course. and and I feel like anyway that's my thing. Well, and, you, I, and I'm I've harped about it so much on this podcast that it, to have you here and not ask you about it would be I'd be doing myself a disservice anyway. I've tried to I've tried it that making it that way before, and I've had it that way. Um, I prefer it with in the shell because there's something about retaining all that liquor and not overcooking. 
the clams. clams. Mm-hmm. The clams are still soft. They're not chewy. All the clam pies that I've had with them pre-shucked have been chewy. You know, that's true. They can and be. They're not always. Not not always, but leave, you know, there's going to be some chewy no matter what. And in, they're different types of clams, too. So You're, you're using cherry with, stone. Right. You're, right? You're, 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 you have manilas. That's all, yeah, it's all we really get here. And, yeah. So that's and also, different. they're $4 a pound with the shell here. Not, I don't know what you can get cherry stones for in New Haven. And you have, also have people that will shuck them all day long. Mm-hmm. Here, I mean, $4 a pound. We put almost two pounds on our clam pie. We charge $25 for it. We put our house-made bacon on that. The clams alone is like 32% food cost. We haven't even gotten into the cheese or the bacon or the dough or the labor, all everything else associated. So that's a loss leader for you. If someone comes in, you're losing yeah. more, you're not making as much. And we have those. And I think every restaurant should have loss leaders. You don't have to make the same margins on mm. everything in the restaurant. That That's asinine. Something you, know, you get, do because you like, because it's, it's what you're about, you know? Yeah. Well, you, everybody knows you're going to make money on salads. Salads are like the big money maker. One of our biggest sellers is the Caesar salad. Which is absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you. Hats off to your Caesar from the from the get-go, I remember telling people, this is, go to a Pizza Shoals, if for nothing else, the Caesar salad. And that, I know I'm going to make money on, right? But that makes up for, like, our meat plates where the food cost is, like, 60%. So it offsets other things. You don't have to, like, you know, make the same profit margin on everything. Again, customers are smart. They, they can perceive value. Um... And I, I find generally the people who complain about my pricing are generally people that, you know, they, they'd rather, it's not about the quantity, quality for them, it's more about the quantity. And they'd rather go get their, shit, what does it cost to get a, a, a pizza that you have to fucking bake at your house these days? Ten bucks? And that's stuff's garbage. Look at me. I don't eat that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like they advertise it on TV. That stuff's garbage. You want oh, to talk about man. like just processed, mass processed stuff. Um, but if you got, and this is, I guess, going to make me sound like a terrible parent, but if you got two hard to please, not easy to please, whatever, kids, and you just want to feed your family, that's one, that's a different You deal. haven't taught them how to compromise yet. Yeah, well, I taught them how to compromise a, a long time. We're talking about your parenting skills at this point. <laughs> <laughs> No, See, I, I, was I get just it. Going to yeah. offer to teach him how to uh, eat the clam pie without it getting cold, because there is a technique, and I will teach you after this. But now you're going to teach him how to be a parent. I'm, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Man, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're in their twenties. Hey. I already fucked. Oh it up. shit! Don't they need a fucking whole pizza for themselves anyway? <laughs> uh, you yeah. got a certain age. I'm talking about. Um, but I'll you give know, some the, marital the average, advice later. The average family comes into our place. They have like two adults, two kids. You know, either they'll get. Two That's large two pies. Yeah, yeah, and then they'll half and half it. So there's four different options going on there. Right. One may just want pepperoni. One may just want cheese. Mom wants the truffle, and Dad wants the the bacon pizza. The bacon Everybody's pizza. happy. The bacon and, pizza. And we're talking great. like you're you're fifty dollars. You know, for you know twelve dollars average per head. Yeah. For two thousand sixteen, that's. And a lot of other pizzerias that are, you know, have come behind uh, after us. You'd have to if you look at uh, if you look at how big their pizzas are and what they're giving you. Right, they're a lot more expensive than yeah. I am. So I just needed to be slapped a long time ago and just shut oh, me no, up. No. So you and I should have met a long time ago. I think you wanted ago. to be slapped a long time. No, ago. no, 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 that's not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I think that's extra. <laughs> <laughs> extra, yeah. extra, extra toppings. <laughs> 
So what what in your childhood? So you grew up in in Michigan and uh-huh. went out to school in California. Yeah, I left. My parents got divorced in the early '80s. So a third of my life in Michigan, third of my life in California. They got divorced. I actually spent um, about a year and a half in Miami with my father when they got divorced. My mom left for Sunnyvale, started working for Lockheed, and Dad started uh, working. He's an engineer, so he was working for a a company down in Miami. Lived for about a year and a half in Miami, and then I didn't really like Miami too much. That's when the cocaine wars were going down in the early '80s. So and how it was you scary, were, you, you know, were as, a, young as a thirteen-year-old right? boy, is you yeah. know, all that shit going down was was kind of freaky. Um, so that was Miami Vice days, right? Before, before Miami Vice came about. Oh, because, that was an answer. Yes, that was because of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you turn on the news every day, and it'd be like. Oh, you know, sixteen people were just gunned down in this this club. It was like a daily occurrence. Yeah, there were, I saw a documentary about that recently. There the Cocaine Cowboys. Insane. Yes. That's what so you know that the thing that sparked that all off of that mall, the the first shooting at the liquor yes, store in the mall, yes. at the Dade County Mall. Mm-hmm. That was half a mile from the house that I lived in. Wow. So that's where. Yeah. And so at thirteen, are you a little freaked a little out? Freaked that? out. I'd rather go live with mom in Sunnyvale, and um, so stayed uh, finished up uh, high school, in. Uh, Cupertino went to Homestead High and uh, bailed first day after graduation. I was gone and uh, I got into UC Santa Cruz and uh, lived, got stuck in Santa Cruz for about almost seven years. That's not a bad place to be stuck in. No, it was fun. But it was a lot better before the earthquake. What happened with that? I mean, what, why, was it, why was it better before? Just, it was this great old town. Um, a lot of history to it. Uh, the the what they what they call the mall was like you know Pacific Avenue. Was these old buildings, and you know you know yeah, there's a lot of right wing old money in Santa Cruz. But it's not all hippies there, but it was just it was just a it was a it was a cool town, and you, you seem like like you get to, you got to know like a lot of people. Um, and then I was baking the day that the earthquake happened, which I, that's the last day that I baked at that job because it. The whole building crumbled, um, and then for the next couple of years, the, the community got together. Businesses were erecting tents, and people were supporting those businesses and keeping them alive. And there was a lot of good things that came, like the first couple of years, just as the community coming together. But then, as they started building the town back up after finally all the FEMA money and the insurance and all this other stuff, then it just then it just changed. And uh, that's when you also had like the the dot com explosion mm-hmm. so dot com people wanted to start buying up santa cruz and then commuting over the hill it was just it was just it, the, the character back in those days was just a lot different you think it's starting to feel like that here now that 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 kind of change absolutely you know and the change you know like the, the only constant is change but the thing to me that's the scariest about how portland's going is how fast it's going I think they need to slow shit. But how do you do that? I mean, it's kind city's of- in control of issuing all these permits, allowing people to tear down these buildings and put up like 150 people in this space with no parking. Well, yeah, but you can't stop people from coming in. And what's attractive attractive about Portland? I mean, you came here for the much the same reason a lot of people did. It was attractive. It was less expensive. Correct. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you it found, was kind of nice piece of property. I don't think it's really that way anymore. Yeah, I think, well, that's not I think like, everything's pretty overinflated. Right, I don't think a lot of people are coming here because it's less expensive now. Maybe from San Francisco, but that's not. The I think same you got thing. a mixed bag of everybody's got everybody's got their own reason, right? Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, um, I think it would behoove the city to move a little slower in just issuing these building permits. Think of, you know, the one thing I've noticed in all the years of living in, in Oregon is it's all the decisions seem to be about, like, tomorrow. Not No one's thinking about, what about 10, 15 years from now? It's all about, like, just solving the solution to tomorrow. Uh, and I think if they just slowed down, the, maybe we'd have, you know, because the infrastructure of those towns certainly can't handle all this expansion. expansion. Mm-hmm. But it's, the roads it's, are, are it's not designed com- for that. It's There's com- only so much they can tax the restaurants to death oh, like geez. they keep doing. <laughs> How much do you give TriMet? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 7k for me. Yeah. I didn't discover uh I didn't discover the TriMet self-employment tax until 6 years after I lived here. Uh-huh. And it was brought to my attention by TriMet and I was like, you can't charge me a penalty on this stuff when you never made me aware of it in year 1. So I got and I had to pay a penalty. So right. Oh yeah. It happens to they, get you. they didn't they didn't give me any relief on that whatsoever. Hey, Chris, let's pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places in Portland to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Right there on West Burnside, uh, while they may not be offering the in-restaurant dining because of the current regulations that keep changing, what you can do uh, is enjoy takeout from Ringside. So if you're in the mood for a hearty steak or even prime rib, they have three course steak dinners to go five nights a week starting at only $38 per person. And, uh, you know, for ringside steaks, that's fantastic. So go to their website and see what that's all about. You can uh, uh, order to go uh, and you can find them on DoorDash and Caviar or directly there. Call for pickup uh, starting at 3.30 and pick it up until 7.30. Start it um, at 503-223-1513. That's 503-223-1513 at Ringside for a great pickup uh, opportunity for to eat wonderfully tonight or tomorrow night or the next night. Starting on Wednesday, they're open Wednesday through Sunday. Hopefully in due time, you'll be able to make reservations to dine in the beautiful restaurant, which has been updated to pandemic standards and looks beautiful as a result with all the plexiglass between the booths and of course, uh, lots of expensive ventilation that's gone into uh, the restaurant and trained staff and employees to make your Visit once you can go back in as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. So there's really no reason for you to not eat delicious food, first of all, but also uh, continue to support a Portland institution with Ringside Steakhouse. Uh, you can get all the information that Chris just mentioned on their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. When you you first came here, you didn't come to Portland. You came out, you moved out to Washington County. Yeah, I bought a, um, my wife and I bought a, five-acre Christmas tree farm out in Shoals. And Shoals is basically halfway between Hillsboro and Newburgh. And so what was your vision out there? I thought, what were you going to do? I wanted to do barbecue. Uh, my wife wouldn't have anything to do with it, though. Why? Oh, because I wanted to do it, you know, I wanted to go get a, a really nice pit. I was looking at pits and, like, you know, close pits in, in Texas, and I wanted to do this, like, you know, full-on legit like and uh she just probably pictured me sitting around drinking beer all day long waiting for the meat to come off you know 
She didn't want to deal with the grease. I think she probably didn't want to deal with the fact of dealing with lots of grease. And Sounds like going to the strip club. She had the same concerns. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just imagine if we'd met early. <laughs> all of Kim's concerns she, then. She just, she <laughs> all put the her, grease right. and the beer <laughs> drinking. <laughs> I mean, she loves barbecue, but, you know, she, she just said, no, that's, that's not it. Um, and there are a few things that had happened in the years prior where little, little seeds have been dropped about me, you know, getting back into baking. Cause it had been a while since I had baked. And, um, did you think you were a really good baker? I thought it was good enough to start a bakery, but I knew I could do better. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm my wife will tell you, like when I, when I get a bug on my ass, it, no, there's no stopping me. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done and I'll figure it out. So, when she we went around town, and of course there was Pearl and Ken had just opened up Artisan Bakers. Uh, was it twenty third or whatever twenty first? Ken's Artisan. Yeah, twenty oh, first. He had just opened up. Yeah, but no one was doing the wood fired um, oven, and so I dropped. I'm like, you know, what? I think this is a good idea. So I dropped everything. I went off to to the Bay Area, lived with Alan Scott, who wrote a lot of books on how to um, build wood-fired ovens. He actually built a lot of these earlier wood-fired ovens. I got an apprenticeship working with a guy who had an Alan Scott oven, worked for free for a month, um, and then came back a month later, and I had been working on, when I wasn't at the bakery, I was working on designing my bakery. So when I, I came back, I started immediately, and I had that bakery built in one year built the oven, built the bakery, did all the electrical plumbing, everything. So by the time we were ready and we had just gotten accepted to the Portland farmer's market, which was great because it was seemingly like really hard uh, after we'd gotten in to get into the Portland farmer's market. There was like a big long waiting list, but you know, sometimes timing and luck is all all part of and it. And if you have the right product, well, they have a lot of bakeries there now. They didn't have a lot of bakeries at that time. It was, right. I think it was Pearl and of course Ken had just started but um, also we were doing the wood fired you know I would start a fire I didn't have a mixer I mixed all my bread by hand I was doing it like really old you know of course I didn't have money to do anything fancy so I figured it out um, and uh, that went it went well you know we actually I got into all the zoo pans it was a people's food co-op uh, uh, what's the other one? Food front, um, and of course the farmers markets. And we developed a city market, pasta works. Developed a lot of uh, good following uh, throughout the community, and as well as a lot of restaurateurs. So we started getting attention from a lot of chefs around town. We're like, yeah, yeah, maybe you can sell me some bread. And uh, so yeah, that went. That's how that the bakery came about. And it's also how the pizza came about because I never, I've never worked in a pizzeria and I never made a pizza in my entire that's life. I was going to ask you, did you have anything in your background that, that would lead you to believe that that's where you're going to end up? No. So once we get the bakery up and running, you know, after we're a while, Kim and I are like, oh, we started asking all of our uh, people we were meeting at the farmers market, where do you get the good pizza around town? And we were sent everywhere. Where were you sent then? Who oh, was doing it? Vincente's. I can't remember. I think they were, we, someone sent us a flying pie. Someone sent us to Vincente's, you know, all the old Portland standards. Um, and it was nothing like that I was looking for. I was looking for 
the classic neo neapolitan style where it's baked super hot it you know super fast very simple i judge pizza by trying the the plain the plain pie or what people call the cheese pie but everything here was more of like a the dough was too thick it was baked too low a temperature too long it was bready it wasn't you know it wasn't wasn't what i was thinking of and having gone to places like patsy's and totano's uh, you know the classic coal-fired oven places mm -hmm. of uh, the northeast so i just like well i've got this brick oven <laughs> wood-fired brick oven and i make bread so i'll just start making pizza and every sunday became pizza day so we had to be at the bakery anyway because we were doing all sourdough so i had to be there to feed my starters and start making the dough for Monday on Sunday nights. So I never really had a day off, but it was late on Sunday, so we made it uh, made it pizza day, and we invite all the, the the people who we met, the farmers markets, regulars, chefs. It just became a standing invitation. Bring a six pack. We'll be out making pizza. Well, eventually, after about three years of that, so many people were. We went from making like ten pizzas to making sixty pizzas on our day off. And of course, I had to start charging money for it because oh, yeah. I don't, I can't afford to give sixty pizzas away for free. <laughs> I wasn't making a lot of money on and making, when you and were, making bread. When you were making ten, it wasn't a business plan. Hey, let me get this out there. This was you were just doing it. Oh, I wasn't as an thinking, enjoyable. If you would endeavor. ask me, if you would ask, if you told me, you know, uh, when I first moved here and I'd start the bakery, you know what, you're going to have a really famous pizzeria one day. I would have laughed my ass off. I had no. It really was not where my head was at. But as I said before, like I get a bug up my ass about something, I I go in one hundred percent. So was it was it when you went from ten to sixty pizzas when you said, "Hey, this may be something I a can light do? bulb went yeah. off," because not only you know was I feeling like we were getting really close to that style of pizza, like the Patsy's things that I remember, and of course it was different, but it was closer to what I had set as my gold standard and what I was like aiming for in my head so as we got closer and more and more people wanted it and we kept saying this might be the best pizza i've ever had and then i sat back and i was like you know what if i had the ability to sell a few beers because i used to be a bartender in san francisco i know you know that's where a lot of restaurateurs make up some of their uh money to help pay for labor and all this everything else so if I, well if i got that going and i sold some salads and i could sell these pizzas not only would I, I wouldn't be so bored because uh, in, in the bakery, I was by myself from 8 o'clock in the morning to like midnight. Wow. And my wife would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go deliver everything. And she'd come so home and go to sleep. So we'd, we would be like ships passing in the night. And I really didn't see anybody. No one was, I didn't have any employees. God, you and I really are soulmates, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> just, just sitting alone, just thinking sit, filthy thoughts hey, and playing with listen, puppets, making food. I was out there listening to speed metal, <laughs> <laughs> drinking beer. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was like, wow, I, I could actually, you know, cause it was boring. It was, I love making bread, but it was just, it was, after a while, it was just like, I, I don't have, I don't have any relationship. I'm looking at this wall, this oven, talking to him sometimes. Um, so, and then this commercial property, one of the three commercial properties that are in Shoals came up. So... Uh, we went for it. And this is about 12, 13 years ago? Uh, we, our first day of business was January 1st, 
2004. Okay. And we didn't make it a year in Shoals. We got kicked out. Because around June, word had gotten out, and the throngs just came. And we didn't have a lot of parking. And it's in the country. People were parking up and up and down on the highway, and there was accidents. That had to feel pretty good, though, to watch. Not accidents. Stra- you know what? It was I actually really before you mentioned <laughs> that. It was, it, was, it, was, it was really stressful because... When we first started, there were nights I remember just going, what the fuck was I thinking? We sold three pizzas in five hours. What, you know? And then, you know, we got used to making, you know, like 20. And the next thing I know, I have to figure out how to make 80. And and how many do you make in, what? how many do you make a week now? A week? Or a day. A day, well, about a hundred, if we're at maximum capacity from opening to close, we can do about 120, 125. And that's just five hours of just, you're at- Slamming it. You're slammed. Okay, so um, you lost your lease out there, or you decided that wasn't working for you. I got kicked out. Yeah, you got kicked out. Okay. Washington County, I got a letter in the mail in August saying if you don't take care of this parking issue, you could be uh, liable up to a, th- a fines of $1,000 a day. So we hired lawyers and we you gotta, tried. You can't make enough pizzas to fix that. No. So we hired lawyers to see what could be done, figure it out, fix it. After a very short period of time and a lot of money, because lawyers are not cheap, they were just like, get out. So we looked on Craigslist and sure enough, there was this place on Hawthorne Boulevard that was available and uh, had been available for about a month. It was Surabaya, and it was a turnkey. It had, all we had to do is bring our ovens down there, and it came with the chairs, the tables, and a bunch more equipment than I could ever have used. A lot of that equipment's in other restaurants around town. Uh, but um, it was turnkey, so, and we were bleeding money, because again, we hadn't been open a year. Um, and we spent a ton of money on, on lawyer fees. My wife had, and I hadn't even paid ourselves at this point. We were living off credit card. So um, it was really, it was just perfect timing and it was, it, was, it was also survival, so we... Were you nervous, were you scared when you're living off of credit cards and you're not paying yourself? Horrible. And, but could you envision what you have now? I mean, was that in I, your sights? No, no, it, at that point it's just survival because right. I don't, I don't ever like to say no, and I don't like giving up. And I have a wife, and she's, and we're all in this 100. percent And I love her to death, and I want to, I want to make this work. So you were really so worried about mode. the next month. I'm worried about just, yeah, that then making it to tomorrow, and then right. and then you know, one day at a time. Let's, let's 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 keep going. So we get we we made negotiated a deal, shut down in Shoals, uh, December, I think it was 30th of 2004 and then we opened up in Portland on January 24th, 2005. Three weeks. We had to wait for PGE because they had to upgrade our um, our power service. Mm. So and most of that was, wait- a lot of that was waiting two weeks of painting and just putting lipstick on the fucking thing. And then about a week of just sitting around with my dick in my hand, bleeding more money uh, waiting for PG to put the new transformer up on 
up on the pole. So and you had to have a lot of faith, and you were invested in the whole concept that we're going to make this work. Got to make it work. I, so, I mean, we were out of money. Like I remember our first night of opening, um, we got a piece of paper, eight by ten piece of paper, and wrote a pizza shoals on it. Or actually, no, my wife, my wife put it on the computer. It was an eight by ten piece of paper. That was a sign. Because I didn't have money to and- <laughs> get up on hunting or anything. It's no no sushi no kids. <laughs> so so and I think we sold sixty pizzas that night. People, people, people were waiting. People and how many of those people were your customers? They had to be customers from out there, right? Coming all the way here. Most of my customers out there were from Southeast Portland. Oh. That's where I met Tommy Habits. That's where I met Charlie Devereaux, who used to be an owner of uh, Double Mountain. That's where I met Rodney uh, Muirhead. Rodney Muirhead, pa- was, Rod- Rodney Muirhead was my first employee in Portland. He worked for me. For Who the else first- worked in your kitchen? Uh, Tommy worked for me for a, a, a nanosecond. I swooped in to just help him out after the the downfall of Gotham Building Tavern, mm-hmm. and I knew he needed a job. Um, and his wife was, I can't remember if if Hugo was born yet at that time or was about to be born. And I know there's a lot of stress, so I, I swooped in, and he worked there for a little bit before going to, like, three, he worked there for about three months before going to Meriwether's. Mm-hmm. Um... No other big n- names worked in. So, Rod, did you ever do barbecue with Rodney? Did you guys hang out and barbecue together? Well, he he, he had a, had low barbecue, which was a, a cart, and he'd been doing that at the Portland Farmers Market. And he actually had a location down at like Twelfth and Hawthorne that wasn't working out. There was no foot traffic, so that's one of the reasons why he wanted a job. And then. He approached me because we have this patio, and he's like, can I put my pit back there and rent, like, do, because we were only open five days a week, can I put the pit out there and do barbecue on Monday nights? Sure. So he uh, started doing that, did that for about eight or nine months, and he was full every night. He was, he was selling... He was selling out of all the stuff that he produced. What's remarkable to me is this was 10 years ago, and how much has transpired for all... And you... Janice, you got here 10 years ago, too, mm-hmm. or about. Yeah, how I, much opened, has, uh, I opened within a year of moving here. Right. So how much have you guys have all accomplished in 10 years, and now you're established businesses in Portland in 10 years? And uh, that's not a long period of time. It really isn't. Uh, no. It's, it, it's, when I look back on it, sometimes it seems like a really long period of time. Sometimes it seems like a fucking blur. It goes um, so fast. Yeah. I, I mean, you know it's a long time. Your body sure as hell knows it's yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, my weeks, I feel like I wake up on Monday morning, and by by the time I really know what's going on, it's already the next Monday morning. It's just, it's an Well, that's a world. function of getting older, right? Till you get to my <laughs> <laughs> that That it get, goes even faster, you know, when, and yeah. these milestones come about, like yeah. birthdays and Father's Days and... That was that was a year ago. It's right. kind of crazy. So, you moved the pizza, and I like to what you told me that really struck me was first of all, you never said to anybody this is New Haven style pizza. Never. It was uh, it was other people who coined it. People you know, put a lot is, of words in my mouth. That I think didn't. it was more. <laughs> this is as good. And people were saying, must have been saying this was as as fantastic as uh, New Haven style pizza. But I also love the name that how you how came it came up. about. Yes. So we out out in Shoals, we were called the Shoals Public House, and we were debating 
do we get rid of the Shoals? Pub- well, we can't call ourselves Shoals Public House in Portland. That makes no fucking well, sense. Plus, it's a pizza place. But we'd already been established a name for ourselves with that name. So how do you how do you move forty five minutes away and reestablish yourself, but also let people know that's still me. I'm it's still me. And um, a lot of people agreed. Like you have to keep Shoals in there somehow, somehow. And it, it's, it was just a play on words. When I was in Santa Cruz, there was a place called a pizza, my heart a play on words. And I've always loved the bastardization in Italian, a beats from new Haven. I thought that was really cool. So to me, it, it was just a play on words. We're a piece of Shoals in Portland. And that's probably also how the new Haven thing came about. Cause yeah, because everybody assumed since we spelled it the way they the do traditional it. way, which is no separation between the a and pizza. That everybody thought, assume that we were New Haven style. We're, I don't claim to be New Haven style. That is definitely one of the styles of pizza that I, I uh, strive to be of that quality and style. Hot, fast, you know, it's it's minimal. But uh, no, I don't. I've never claimed to be New York style or New Haven style. I've never claimed to be any style other than my own style. It is what well, it is. Well, you're defining Portland style. So when you when you see the best lists in the country and you're there, it's you know that's you're representing right. Portland. And uh, and everybody's got opinion on pizza. You and, don't have to like what I fucking do. And, I mean, I really don't get offended when people go like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm like, it's cool, man." How many? I go, people like, I really, I don't. I don't. How many people you know, don't like you, your pizza? What are the complaints? It's burnt. <laughs> Not enough cheese. I mean, everybody. Everybody look, has their gold standard. We're all. We, we. Everybody has that guy. That one moment where you fall in love with something, and that is like your. That becomes your gold standard. But you're always like, oh man, I wish it was like where I used to get it. It's so and so. Doesn't make it bad. It's just like you. You want you. People are always trying to like. But I think there's. I think you can like different styles of pizza. I, I mean, do. I grew up. I do. Not far from New Haven and. You know, Fairfield County, and there was a place called Post Corner Pizza. Have you ever gone to Post Corner Pizza? I have not. And I'd love to do a trip with, with a few people back there and do that. But it was Greek style. This was just a diner, and they started serving pizza, and then they became huge. huge. And then they went down to Florida and opened up uh, a marble te- marble cathedral <laughs> pizza that didn't, <laughs> that didn't work. But I think you can. the point is, I love that pizza. I love pizza that I got. I even have liked some Chicago-style pizza oh, yeah. here and there. Well, so, Janice and I both have an affinity for uh, Pequod's. Yeah. I don't even know where that is. It's the only Chicago-style pizza I like. That's my favorite. Yeah. There. In Chicago? Oh, in Chicago. I've been, okay. I've, yeah, I've gone to Lou Malnati's. I've gone to Gino's East. I've gone to Giordano's. A whole slew of them. But Pequod's is the best. Yeah. And it, they're also different. A lot of people in Chicago say, that's not traditional Chicago. It's it doesn't fucking need to be good. I don't care what it is. <laughs> it doesn't need to be traditional. It's <laughs> no, really good. it's really good. So how do you feel about uh, the last couple of years have become, you know, everybody's opening a pizza place. There's a lot of them. You know, as as a as a consumer, I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> There's so many other things that need to be done in this town. Um, and why do you it, think they're opening pizzas? It, it can't, it can't I don't know. You know, and everybody's else. got their reason. You know, I'm just, I'm just. Speaking as a consumer, I'm, you know, I would rather someone open up a classic sub shop in this town than another pizza shop. You know, you go in, they have fresh made 18 to 24 inch French rolls or semolina rolls. 
and guys behind the counter or girls behind the counter with a deli case of all the meats and like three slicers and a list of just 20 well, you, sandwiches. They can't, they can't do that here, and I'll tell you why. My opinion, they're too slow. Everybody's too slow in this town. They, if you want a sandwich here, uh, back east, it's with the slicer. Yeah. Slam down, you got it in three minutes. Here it would take 15 minutes. Full well, circle to the work ethic thing. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> We've come back. <laughs> Kids are slow these days. But no, I, I <laughs> but, you know, like, again, like it doesn't, there's, there's just things that I would like to be done in this town that are not getting done. And it just seems so, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting out like, I think whoever opened up in the last couple of years is silly. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just speaking from a, a consumer standpoint. There's other things I'd like to see in this town because I don't care about what other people are doing. Has if, it affected you at all? or is it? I was thinking it would, but no, it hasn't. Actually, our numbers keep going up. Um, and it's really not – that's – wasn't really concerned about that. It was just, again, I'm, I'm bringing it back to just being consumer because I'm a consumer. Just I love eating out. I love food. Um and you know, I spend mo- most of my most of my dining dollars happen out on Eighty Second Avenue. I was going to ask you where you both of you where you like to uh, go. I'm going to look. I'm going to give the floor to Janice here. Me? Yeah, where you where do you when you have time because you're uh, you're pretty busy. Places I go, um, you know, going back to uh, Chef Aaron, um, St. Jack, fantastic place. I was just there last night. Yeah, I had a rack of ribs that was unbelievable. It's it's a great place just on every level. I mean, they they do really wonderful things, obscure things. I always try to go for the specials, like stuffed duck neck, just amazing classical, and I think that's my one. Classical uh, dishes um, that you just don't see it elsewhere. And his sous chef, uh, Amanda, is just great at what she does. There's so much attention to detail and, and really craft in, in every aspect of that place. The service is just top-notch it's caring it's personable even even if you're not a regular you just there's a warmth to it that's great and uh, expatriate is a place that i get into a lot of trouble at (laughs) what do you what do you define as trouble (laughs) (laughs) well they know me well there so 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 the drinks are strong in a lot and and they're fantastic it's i don't um I don't even order drinks off the cocktail list, which I probably shouldn't say. I just like I'm in the mood for this, and and they'll make something really neat for me that I've never had before, and it's always perfectly balanced. And you know, they're all they're not people just bartending because they haven't succeeded at other things in life. They're they all have succeeded. Yeah, they're they've succeeded at being bartenders and being really great at it. they they treat that craftsmanship the way a good cook treats cooking, and so I mean, there's just really Nothing that competes with that. I'm going to take the opportunity right now if uh, Kyle and Naomi are happen to listen to this because we'll call <laughs> attention. We haven't been able to get them on this podcast, so I'm going to just uh, uh, <laughs> self-serving promotion. Those are those you are some busy damn people. On. I know, but <laughs> if we we get wonderful people like you here, we they should be coming on. You should make uh, Eric, uh, Eric the bartender. Yeah, yeah, Nelson. make Eric come on because uh, he's heading up their I can't brunch make program. Make anybody do anything? <laughs> well, I, I mean. I'll, he I'll nudge him the, a few times. He, He's the one heading up their brunch program. And, and if hear, you haven't I'm, been to the I hear brunch, incredible things about it. Yeah, us. the brunch is great. Um, it's very cool things. Little little twists on what they're already doing. So a couple more quick. 
Cu- couple more other places. Oh, well, have you I been? Mean, to, have you been to Maya? Have you been to Maya's? Uh, have, oh, Meg. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, uh, Maya, homegirl Maya. Yeah. So, which is had to ask that because I, to me, right now, that has been some of my favorite experience. The last year, I would point, and I've said this before, my favorite food nights yeah. um, have been there. Other it's only going to get better too because um, you know I'm not sure if you found them when they first started earlier. Or came to it later, but as they're heading back into summer, and she's going to have so much better farmers market stuff once tomato season kicks in, and all the stone fruits for her desserts, uh, things are really going to shine. All the pickles and everything she's going to be doing, it's great now. But I, it's just once the produce locally comes in. She told me that herself. It's amazing. We, we had done an event with her in December, and she yeah. said we got to do something in the summer when I'm really going to have the opportunity. What about you, Brian? Where are you? Well, I'm a father, so I don't get out as much as I'd, as I'd like to. Um, but and I have, I like when I go out for like fancy or high, I don't want to say fancy, but when I go out for, you know, going out with my wife with, without the daughter. Uh, How I like, old's your daughter? Uh, she's 10. Okay. And she's good still, she, she's 10. still picky. That's good, that's so good. that's why, like, I can't just go to any place with her. Um, but when, you know, I go out to, you know, the mid tier, restaurants higher end restaurants i have a lot of relationships in this town that have lasted a long time so i I find myself going to places that i have relationships with the owners so um i like john gorman known for a long time love mec um tor bravo jason owens i've known for a really long time love going to lowerhurst market uh i've gone to janice's place many times um where else uh, you and know there's, and there's so many restaurants it's, and it's I, kind of an incestuous city i mean how much what percentage of the industry supports the industry do you think uh, uh, obviously every you've you got different numbers of seats in your your respective yeah. restaurants but um yeah we were a lot i mean they're on a good night like especially on sunday and monday nights you can walk into the, the dining room of pizza shoals and you'll there's about six or seven chefs sitting dining um, so back in the old day, there used to be probably free pizza coming, and then you'd go somewhere. Oh, crazy stuff! Uh, I remember, like, I met John Gorman before he even started had a restaurant. He he had just hooked up with Jason Owens. Jason Owens was the floor manager at Park Kitchen. He was doing his breakfast thing at a Pix over on Division, and they did a dinner out at, at Shoals Public House. And formed Simpatica, and then they bought Beyond Meats, and then they started Simpatica and everything. So, yeah, there was lots of – I have a, the first dollar bill at a Pizza Shoals is signed by John Gorham, Rodney Muirhead, and uh, Jason Owens. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's, that's a pretty cool dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good it's, start. It's, it's, been, it's been up there on the wine rack since day one. Hasn't moved. Um and Greg and Gabby, I love Greg and Gabby Ox. They make great food, and they're amazing people. And there's just so many people that I, I love in this town. But when, on my day-to-day stuff, what do I eat normally? Like on day-to-day, um, I go up and down 82nd. I, and I love Mexican food. I love Vietnamese food. Uh, and I like discovering, like, little holes in the walls that, you know, that you walk in and you know that you get the sense that no one else you know has been there yet. I love that. There's, it's curiosity, and it's also exciting, and it's kind of like you know rolling the dice, and it might be good, it might be bad. Never know until you try it. So I've asked. Yenha this- has Buck Hunter. Oh yeah, really? That's awesome. 
Soon, Brian. I've I've asked this before because I follow a number of industry people on their feeds, and it's Asian. Asian is like 90% of what most chefs are going out to eat. Yeah. What is that? Why? And I've asked that before, and I've gotten answers, but I just still find it interesting that that is, and and there's kind of a little, uh, there's not a lot of Chinese in Portland to to tap into. And most of the Chinese in, in, in Portland is uh, Cantonese. Um, but I think one of the reasons why uh, uh, Asian food, whether it be Vietnamese, Cambodian, Thai, are, is so popular with with cooks is because it's all these exciting flavors happening. And it's not like butter, grease, weigh you down. Um, it's, uh, when, I, when I go out, I, I feel like I'm full, but I, I feel... I don't feel gross, and just all the flavors are exciting. You got mint, you've got chilies, and you, everything just coming together. It's 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 delicious and it's satisfying. It's simple, and, and there are a lot of places that you're talking tons about of them. to discover. Oh my god! Like my newest, my favorite discovery is actually around the corner from Janus, and they make these little. It's a Vietnamese um, banh mi place. It's called Banh Mi Nam Lok. And they make these little tiny crepes that are made with pork and shrimp uh, and kind of a turmeric-style crepe. Instead of like, getting like, the big crepe that a lot of people see at Vietnamese, Vietnamese restaurants, these little ones that are made in the, what do they call it, Abel Skiver? Yeah, the Abel they, they make them in that, and they give you a bunch of lettuce leaves and mint, and you got the hot sauces and everything. You throw those in there and you know, do these little let, lettuce wraps. And you get enough food for two people for like 12 bucks there. That's the place where we were by the cigar shop, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's across from the McDonald's on the 82nd shop. at, at, uh, <laughs> at, was that, no, it's not Washington, that's Stark, right? Washington comes in. No, it'd be Stark. Um, I love that place. You find me at probably Fa Oregon all the, I, I'm there all the time also, uh, Boom Way, all the way down near Johnson Creek on 82nd, 82nd. Love that place. I love, uh, going to my brother's crawfish. And in that same shopping mart, um, I can never say the name, but there's an amazing hot pot place right there that uh, I don't go there as often because you need to have like eight people to get in there and do it right. So he said amazing. Is that the cue to end the oh, podcast? Wait. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one more question because yes. are you, do you have a vision for a pizza shoals where there might be more than one of them at some point? Do you see that? No. That's, you're going to stick with no. what you have. I, no, I, it, it's not why I started it. Uh, I don't think we've. Well, yeah, we've, but we you haven't didn't start perfected pizza in the first place. We haven't perfected what we're doing in the first. I mean, and we'll never be perfect, but we have so much. We, we have so much further to go. Uh, I don't think we're even close to making as good of a pizza as we potentially can. And I like Mon Paz. I like the idea of still like there's one place that you can go to get your your thing. It's not everywhere. I think, I think there's a little bit of dilution when you just you can find something everywhere. I, I like the, I like the one-offs. I like the mom pas. I like. You still can, you consider yourself a mom pa? Yeah. Totally. I've never gone. I've never had a bank loan. I've got 20 employees. I've had a lot. I've had a lot of employees come and go. I know my employees well. We treat them well. We party together. 
sometimes we vacation together. There are times I've taken my employees to Mexico. We didn't talk about that at all. I wanted to talk about your love of the Yucatan. Yucatan, yeah. So I'm about to leave. Uh, I'll be gone for almost two months. And what do you get? What do you describe? What you're what you're going to for two months? What's what am what, I going to do? Yeah, I'm going to cook a lot. I'm still a student of Yucatecan food. Um, I'm going to travel. We drove our car down there two years ago. So I have my car down there waiting for me. This year we're gonna go through some pueblitos up to Campeche and spend a night there and then we're gonna go to, um, why's the name escape me right now? Palenque, um, spend a couple nights in Palenque. Did you ever take Spanish? You're doing pretty well. Oh, you spent some time down there. So I've, you've immersed <clears throat> yourself. I took Spanish in high school for one year. And then of course, throughout working in restaurants and bars, you. You p- you pick up mostly bad words. Yeah, I got when Ki- I worked what at, I call kitchen I Spanish whiskey in L.A. and it was all Spanish and man, the stuff I learned there was scary. But when I when I uh, since my first vacation after all these years, my wife and I hadn't had a vacation for like ten years, and finally found an opportunity, shut down the pizzeria, and I'm she's like, where should we go? And she was thinking Hawaii, and I'm like, no. I love Mexican culture. I want to go to Mexico, but I want to go way down where the Caribbean is. So great warm water, swimming. I want to swim. So that was our first vacation in like 10 years. We went down there and we just fell in love with, that's technically the Quintana Roo, the state that, uh, first place. Uh, we didn't, no, I've never, I'm not into big. No, but that's where, close, that, that's close. the state, Ca- Cancun isn't it? is the tip of the, the state of Quintana Roo, which goes all the way down to Belize. Mm-hmm. But the majority of that horn that is, is Yucatan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my, we in a condo in Tulum, we're maybe half an hour away from crossing into the border of the state of the Yucatan. Mm-hmm. Um, but my Spanish obviously has gotten a lot better. I've been practicing and actually I'm studying Mayan right now. So I'm trying to be at least conversational, uh, Mayan cause there's a lot of pueblitos there you can go to where they don't speak any Spanish or English. So you can only get by by speaking Mayan. Oh. So how much? You, so you're not going to be spending much time in the condo then. You're going to be moving oh, I'll around. be spending a lot of time. Han actually, Han Wong is uh, joining me for a week. So we're oh, gonna, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, the kids are going to play in the pool. What do you, you know? How do you, you meet Han? I met Han at Tommy Habit's uh, daughter's birthday party. Oh no, it was, no, it was Hugo's birthday party. Um, a couple years ago, he was just about to open up Kim Jong Grilling again. He hadn't, you know, he had shut down for a couple of years, and he was he was working for Provista uh, Provisions, and uh, Tommy's in the back uh, grilling, and I just met him and talked to him a little bit, and um, a couple months later he had opened up, and we we've talked a few times, and then he was looking for uh, a place where he could do his dishes because he was opening up with pent up demand. He needed he needed a lot of dishes to do, and I was close in to him. I'm like, yeah, come over and do your dishes at, at a pizza. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I want to see you succeed. Like, just come and and just just do your thing, and don't I don't want any money. Just 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 succeed. That's all I want. So of course, you know, uh, we got to hang out a lot and talk a lot, and he's become a really good friend. He's a really really good guy. He was just t- texting me last night or two nights ago about you coming on. And yeah. I was excited about you guys coming on. So, I was too. Court was too. Court, you haven't. We have a dearth of mics here, and uh, so you haven't been 
have the opportunity to chime in that much. But we got some great. <laughs> Janice brought some and some. We not only have the Chick Fil A's. Janice, <laughs> what did you bring? What are we? What are oh, we? Oh, we got buns, 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 buns. Yesterday's uh, experimental market bun. It's a uh, black garlic butter bun, stuffed with uh, braised greens and uh, wild mushrooms and pickled Thai herbs, and then. Um, little less asiany we've got the um kind of like breakfast pastry um uh, just some cooked down market berries with a uh, homemade goat cheese that i made that is awesome do you think we're we should just start doing this podcast so we can eat well in here and <laughs> <laughs> we can't eat well in here there's a sign that's no food and drink <laughs> you can eat well out we, there we can eat well out there or on the way to sassy and we're, well we can eat well just by stopping into both tanuki and a pizza shoals a pizza shoals a pizza. A pizza shoals. Yeah, but it's actually with the SH. It's tough. A beats. To, it's, yeah, a beats shoals, but it's tough to move right into that. Yeah. yeah. But again, it was just a play on words for me. It wasn't, you know, not think, about trying to be New Haven style. No, and but some I, people, well, I some people a, never got it, and some people got it off the bat. They're like, oh, I get it. It's, it's a, I think you're a piece, you a piece of me, shoals, right? Once you told me what that was, it was brilliant. Before that, I thought it was, okay, he's doing New Haven style pizza. It's very interesting. No. And you. It's as wonderful as New Haven. I'd love to go do some, some pizza with you sometime. Awesome, if, yeah. If we if we can somehow manage that, it's Brian style pizza. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's 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 our own style, and, and I don't, I don't know, I'd hold to any. Like I was talking, to like my good friend uh, Chris Bianco. He and I have uh, done a couple of uh, seminars together. I don't even call them seminars, but anyway, we were talking. He's like, you know, what scares me is people have it who are confined to it having to be a certain way or a certain thing you get the the whole vpn certification you can only use this italian flour and you have to use this oven and blah blah blah, blah. why do you, why why does it have to be any one way you know don't don't tell me i have to i have to do it a certain way i'd rather do it my way and if you like it great if you don't like it fucking cares you know, I'm happy with what I, I do. I'm proud of what I do. And I don't I, I don't want everybody to like it. I don't think you can possibly think that anybody's going to like no. that everybody's going to like any one thing anyway. It's, no. But you have I'm enough, a realist. You have enough that do that yeah. you're fine. I love Slayer. And, and you, I don't expect everybody in the world to like Slayer. No, I don't mm-hmm. think so. I don't think so. But but what you do is uh, Let's be realistic about this. Uh I don't think they're on my list. They wouldn't be on my on my Spotify list. Later. No. So. Waylon Jennings? Uh, no, i got to update my side. I love Waylon Jennings. I, I <laughs> you don't like Waylon Jennings? I, I didn't I'm say kidding. I don't like him. He's not on my Spotify list. I have to. I just went from Pandora to Spotify not long ago, so I have, oh, yeah. to, I have to get going. And, right. and uh, actually, my CD collection, which is all antiquated now and somewhere, mm-hmm. was the real, was, was what really determined what I listened to. So right. I got to get back to that. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. Um, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. And we'll visit you there. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Both fun. of you, Janice. Thank, thank you so you. much for coming. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you for letting me join with Janice. That was rad. I think it's oh, great. I was, I was happy to have you here. <laughs> and we got to do this more often. It's it's kind of a, it's a cool concept having you, two of you in the same, mm-hmm. same time. So thanks very much. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right